Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be in verse, starting in verse 13 this morning. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things that's really important in teaching is it's really important to learn what you should do. And you also, it's very helpful when we can learn what not to do. Um, when, when we get boundaries on do this and don't do this, um, that is just so beneficial. And this morning and also next week and last week, we had spent some time, we we're going to be spending time looking at what Jesus says not to do. Um, when Jesus, his very first sermon, Matthew chapter 5, his very first public sermon is known as the Beatitudes, and he says, how blessed are you if you do this? How blessed are you if you do this? And he just goes through, these are all the things that we need to do. And it's interesting, this is Jesus' last public sermon. And it is a list of seven things, seven woes, the opposite of blessed. And it says, he says, don't do these things. So this morning, we're going to look at the first four of those. Uh, that's really important. You know, the Bible in Proverbs, it says, if you strike a scoffer, the naive become shrewd. You know, there are some people that they're so foolish it doesn't matter what kind of discipline they get. It doesn't matter what kind of correction they get. They never learn. Uh, they're just, you strike them, it benefits them not at all. But the naive, the other people standing around watching these foolish people live life, they go, oh, wow, that's bad. Don't do that. Oh, man, I'm not going to do that. And the Pharisees are an example of those scoffers, those foolish people that no matter how they're taught, no matter what goes wrong in their life, they just don't learn. And so this morning, we're going to be considering that. And, and basically, this is, an, this is addressing spiritual leadership. And we need to think about spiritual leadership rightly for two reasons. One is we need to think correctly about how we choose the spiritual leaders in our life, who we decide that we're going to listen to, who we're going to model our lives after. And we need to choose that well. And, and it's important for us to know in our church, but these same warnings that God gives us, we need to give our kids, we need to give our friends, we need to understand the difference between faithful spiritual leadership and leadership that is destructive. So we need to see it out there. But we also need to be able to think and evaluate these qualities in our own life. See, if you're not a believer, if you are a false teacher, then you are a slave to sin. You are a slave to Satan. He is your God. He is in control of your life. So if you're not a believer, that's true. If you're not a believer, you are a slave. Romans chapter 6 talks about what it means to be a slave to sin. But even though as believers we are not slaves to sin... We can be influenced. We are not a slave to Satan. He is not our God. If you're a believer, these things are not what characterize you as a person, but every one of us can be influenced by these things. So we need to be able to think about them. We need to see them and recognize them so that we can also deal with them in our own lives. You know, leadership, uh, I think if we think about these leadership qualities, we're all going to think in our lives of ways that we have failed to be all that God wants for us to be. 
And I was just thinking about that old proverb, when was the best time to plant a tree? A hundred years ago. Uh, When's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. And what I love is that it doesn't matter how well we've done or how much we've failed in the past. We are not defined by our past. We're, We're defined by our relationship with the Lord. And God is so powerful that he can take years of failure, years of neglect, and sometimes we wish we could go back. Michelle and I worked really hard on our parenting, but if I could go back, there are some things I wished I could do differently. But you know what? We're not defined by those things. God is so powerful that as we just say, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to you, I'm going to start today. God powerfully reaches in and blesses. I mean, all of life really depends on the Lord anyway. So this morning, these lessons, they're important. They're about somebody else, but they are also about us. So um, we're going to see four things this morning. The first thing about these false spiritual leaders is that they lead their followers to destruction, to eternal separation from God. Second thing that we see for these false leaders is that they misrepresent God's word. They misrepresent it, and they have misplaced priorities. The things that are important for them are wrong, and they have misplaced effort. The things that they are diligently working on are the wrong things. And so these are four things that for us, we need to evaluate, we need to think about, we need to make sure that we get it right. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin reading in uh, Matthew chapter 23. Now, um, uh, those of you back there on the PowerPoint, for whatever reason, are, my things are not working this morning. So if you want to try to figure out where I am and follow me, you're welcome to do that. If not, you just won't have PowerPoint this morning. So let's start at Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. That's what Jesus says. He says, woe to you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter. And then in verse 15, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across land and sea to make a single proselyte, a single convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Now, I just want you to know, like, those words are shocking. Those words should get your attention. Every single one of these woes, you should take a step back and you should say, okay, this is serious. I need to make sure I'm going to understand it. Okay, let's pause for a second. I want to just say something about verse 14. You notice how we went from verse 13 to 15? Uh, How many of your Bibles skip verse 14? That just goes from 13 to 15. How many of you have verse 14 in there and it's in parentheses or some kind of italics? So I want to just make a a side note about what's happening there. Um, When God originally wrote the Bible, he wrote through inspired men. So he wrote, he inspired these men to write. Every single thing that they wrote was absolutely perfect. He preserved them from error. And so the the Bible, when it was given in its original writings, was perfect. And then what happened was people copied it, right? They took those original ones and they copied them. And sometimes when people were copying 
they would make a mistake. They would leave something out. Other times they had maybe memorized passages in the Gospels and they would copy a verse from a different Gospel into a Gospel that it was not originally in. Now that's a big topic in youth group. Um, the other, the other night I was talking about some of these things and I didn't get to it, but one of the things I like to do is sometimes put up a list of 10 sentences and every single one of them is inaccurate. But when you compare all 10, you can actually come up with the original. And that's what people do with the Bible is they work really hard to compare all the different copies and they figure out where the mistakes are and then they fix them. So in this verse, verse 14 is actually copied into Matthew from Luke and from Mark. But we don't want an, uh, something that a scribe modified. We want the Bible exactly as God delivered it. And that's why you'll have marginal notes that explain those things. And I just want you to know that God's word, the, the book that we hold in our hand is reliable. It is trustworthy. Um, but the, that whole topic, that's an important thing. But I want to mention that because a lot of times people will go off to college and they're untrained, they are uneducated, and they'll sit in a classroom with somebody who attacks scripture, and because they don't know how to think rightly about the Bible, they hear these things and it can interrupt their faith. And so as believers, we need to know and understand these things. So that's verse 14, that's all for free. Let's, let's go back to verse 13 and 15. Matthew, as God originally wrote it, which is why in most of your verses at Bibles, it skips verse 14. So let's just look at this and, and consider this word woe. Woe is the opposite of being blessed. It is to be cursed. It's this terrible thing. It, it's if things seem bad to you, they're only gonna get worse. Like when Jesus says woe to somebody, that, that, is, a, that is a terrible situation to be in. It's if, if your life seems good, you're wrong. It's all about to go down the tubes. Like, that's what woe is. It reminds me of Haman. Any of you guys read the book of Esther? It reminds me of Haman. So Haman was this guy who hated the Jews, and he especially hated Mordecai, this Jewish guy, because he wouldn't bow down to him. And so he hates Haman, and he's just thinking, okay, uh, I, what can I do to destroy this person? I just hate him. And everything he wants to do to hurt that person God turns around. So one day he's talking to the king, and the king says, hey, Haman, what should I do to a person I really want to honor? And Haman thinks, oh, man, I think he's talking about me. Well, you should get that guy. You should seat him on a horse and put a robe on him, give him your ring, give him all this honor. And then God says to, or the king says to Haman, okay, good, go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> Wait, what? That's the guy I hate. And then uh, things go on, and, and Esther is, sees Haman's hatred for the Jews. Esther's a Jew. Esther's also the king's bride. And so Esther is inviting Haman to this feast. Or I'm sorry, inviting, yeah, Haman to this feast. And Haman's just thinking, oh, this is awesome. This is so wonderful. The king likes me. Esther likes me. Oh, my ship has come in. This is wonderful. And so he goes out and he builds these gallows. And he's thinking, I'm going to hang Mordecai. I get, to, I get to kill that guy. And what he doesn't know is everything that happens is working toward his disaster. And so he shows up to this, this, um, this royal banquet and Esther says, he's trying to destroy me. And what more Haman thinks is wonderful is a nightmare. And those gallows that he built for Mordecai, he gets hung on. See, for Haman, 
He had opposed God. He opposed God's people. He had set himself in the place of God, and God just said, woe to you. If things seem bad, they're only going to get worse. And if things seem good, they're going to go bad. And that's something important for us to think about. That's what God says about people who oppose him, about people who stand up and pretend to represent God when in fact they are representing themselves. That was the Pharisees. So when Jesus says, whoa, we better make note, we better think about it and say these qualities I do not want in my life. He calls them hypocrites. Now, hypocrites, that's like an actor. It's somebody who pretends to be something that they're not. And sometimes hypocrites are intentionally deceptive. But there's other times that hypocrites are deceived themselves, and then they deceive others. And these Pharisees were hypocrites because they spoke for God, but in reality spoke for themselves. They would open up God's word, they would read it, and they would teach it. But instead of teaching it the way God intended it to be taught, they came up with their own interpretation. Have you ever met somebody who reads the Bible and says, oh, everybody has their own interpretation, that's what it means to you, and this is what it means to me. Have you ever heard people say things like that? See, that is a, is a hypocrite, that is a Pharisee. Because when God wrote the Bible, he intended something very specific. Nobody gets to open up the Bible, read it, and then make it say what they want it to say. We open up the Bible and we diligently figure out what did God mean? What did God intend? That's what it means, not what I want it to mean. And so the Pharisees were hypocrites because they pretended to speak for God when they really didn't. So let's look at what it says. Basically, Jesus is going to say, this is so important that eternity is at stake. He says this. He says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. People who, you ever, you ever met somebody who's seeking? God's working on their heart. They're drawn toward religion. They're thinking about eternity. Well, these religious leaders found those people. Hey, let me, let me tell you about God. Let me explain God to you. And then when they showed up and when they, when they spoke to those people, when they followed them, it was like slamming the door of heaven in their face. And Jesus says about these religious leaders, you are not going to enter yourselves. Those religious leaders are not going to heaven. Anybody who follows them is not going to go to heaven when they do make a proselyte, when they do get a convert, he says, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. You know what a child of hell is? That's, that's somebody who's going to inherit hell. That's where you belong. That is what you own is hell, separation from God. Now, there's a, it's interesting as we look at religion any of you ever have a temptation to think, man, religion's good. I mean, all religions are good. All religions are ways that people are looking for God and they're pursuing God. And, and there's a lot of different ways that you can pursue God. What Jesus says here is, no, that's wrong. You know, religion is actually Satan's favorite 
tool. There are a lot of ways to get to hell. You can get to hell by saying, I'm an atheist, I deny God's existence, I rebel against God, I hate God. That will take you to hell. Uh, You can also get to hell by saying, actually, I think I want to worship Satan. I'm going to make a five-pointed star, and I'm going to put some some candles around it, and I'm going to sacrifice some animals, and I want to worship Satan directly. That's the way to get to hell. And then there's another way that will get you there just as fast. It's any other religion. They are all the same. They take everyone to hell. That's why Jesus says there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and many are on it. See, we have this temptation that we can look around at all the different religions and we can feel like, oh, those are good things. (laughs) It's interesting. uh, This morning, um, I kind of read like, you know, Facebook pages and stuff for RSM, and I'm in some chat groups. And there was this person who posted, I'm looking for a church where I can be a good person. I want to learn to be a good person. I don't, I don't want a church that focuses too much on Jesus or that focuses too much on the Bible. I just want to learn to be good. I mean, that religious stuff, that Jesus stuff, that's not for me, but I want to be a good person. I don't mind if people talk about Jesus in the Bible, but let's just not focus on those things. You want to know what was amazing to me? were the people who said, you should come to my church. My church does that. And, um, and I would just say this, there were some churches listed that if you went to that pastor, and if you said to that pastor, hey, is this how you would characterize your church? They would not say yes. That is not their goal. That is not what they're shooting for. But that's actually what people who attend their church, that's how they see the church. Yeah, this is a place to learn to be good. Jesus is kind of there. The Bible's kind of there. But that's actually Jesus in the Bible. That's not what we're about. And it's pretty important that we understand what Jesus is saying here. Religion is not an intellectual pastime. It's not something that we just do. Doctrine is not something we just do for fun. Doctrine has eternal consequences. And so that's something very significant, very important. By the way, it's why what happens on Sunday morning is so important. It's why what happens in Sunday school is so important. See, people grow up and their brain is like, it just has a bunch of empty space on it. Uh, They don't know things. And so what happens is if we don't teach people the truth, if we don't lay a proper foundation, people's brains just fill in with whatever they hear. So like even the doctrine of angels, if you don't teach a kid what angels is like, just let them watch TV and then ask them, um, hey, what, is, what do you believe about angels? And they'll just start quoting movies to you. Do you know why? That was blank space in their mind. And they heard something somewhere and their brain just fills it in. See, as faithful believers and as a church, we need to teach people what God says so that their brain is not just a blank space when it comes to the things of God. So these are people that they're religious, but they're taking people to hell, the exact opposite of what the church is intended to do. Here's a second thing. We'll see this in verse 16 through 32, or 22. 
uh, these, these Pharisees, uh, these Pharisees misrepresented God's word. Let's read this. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar um, swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on the throne of God. You know what uh, Jesus is just saying? You have all your little religious things that you've made up. You've figured out ways to cross your fingers. But you know who you forgot about? You forgot about God. And as you go through life and as you go through making oaths and as you do things, I'll tell you what, forget about the temple, forget about the altar, forget about everything else. You need to have God in your mind because God matters. See, here's the thing with these religious leaders. Um, they figured out ways to lie to people. Like, think about this. Why is it that they're coming up with excuses to not follow through on their oaths? It's because they abused people. They took advantage of people. They robbed people. Like, what's a promise? You make a promise to somebody. You swear about something. That's like something that happens in an agreement where you say to somebody, okay, if you do this, then I'll do this. It's like swearing this oath. And they had figured out ways to harm and defraud people while still feeling like they were religious and good. They'd convinced themselves of that. Instead of what did God say? God said, you're to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Why? Why do we love our neighbors? Because our neighbors are made in God's image. And so loving our neighbors is like loving God. They had taken God out of their mind instead of realizing every single person I rob, I am robbing a person made in God's image. They had no reverence for God in how they did things. And by the way, that's what religion does. When you follow the, the wrong religious leaders, um, they, you will be defrauded. You will be lied to. You will be guided to hell. All kinds of people get robbed and taken advantage of. And they're shocked and they're surprised. And we could take these religious leaders that they're on TV, they're rich, all those kind of things. Nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing wrong with being on TV. But I will tell you this, there's a lot of rich people, there's a lot of rich people on TV, and the reason that they're there is because they defraud people. They take poor people and say, send me your money and God will bless you. And I always think, well, why don't you send your money to the poor people and then God can bless you? It's like they take advantage of people, they rob people. They misrepresent God's word. We don't get to just approach it and do whatever we want with it. We figure out what God said. Now, um, Jesus calls them blind. You want to know what the problem with spiritual blindness is? 
Spiritually blind people don't realize that they're spiritually blind. So here's where you should go, okay, let me take a step back and think about me. See, the nice thing about being physically blind is that you'll walk into walls, you'll trip and fall. Like physically blind people know they're blind. Spiritually blind people never see it. And by the way, that's the purpose of the body of Christ, that we love each other, that we encourage each other, that we teach God's word to each other. That's, that's what Matthew 18 is about. If your brother sins, go to him in private. If he listens, you've won him. If he doesn't listen, take some other people who can help. Sometimes spiritually blind people won't listen to one person. But when five or six people come to them and they're loving and they're gracious and they're humble and they point things out, sometimes spiritually blind people go, oh, wow, I guess if nine people are telling me the same thing, maybe it's true. Galatians 6.1 just talks about you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself. Like that's that spirit of humility, realizing it's not just other people who are spiritually blind. Sometimes it's me. And other people need me, but I actually also need other people. Which, by the way, none of that happens right when you sit in your living room and you watch TV online and you're never around people and you don't have relationships and you're not connecting. Because church is more than just watching something on a screen. It's being part of a family that loves each other, that cares about each other, that is speaking into each other's lives. And we all need that. I mean, I need it, but I'm not the only one who need it, needs it. My family needs it. We all need it. And so these Pharisees were spiritually blind. They intentionally took advantage of people. Here's a third thing. They have misplaced priorities misplaced priorities. Think about one of the things that Paul says. He says, I'm, I'm concerned that Satan may have distracted you from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You know, sometimes what Satan does is he distracts us. It's not that we reject the truth or that we reject things that are important. It's that we spend all of our time on things that don't matter, and we don't spend our time on the things that do matter. You know, that can happen in Sunday school. It can happen in Bible studies. You know, community is something that's significant and is something that's important. We need to connect. We need to have relationships. We need to have friendships. Like, those are important. But there are some churches that they, and some groups and some people that send, spend so much time on community that they don't think about truth. They don't, they don't think about salvation. And when they meet somebody, they think to themselves, oh, man, are we good friends? Do we have good things to talk about? Did we enjoy our time together? And that's where it stops. But they don't think about, does this person know the Lord? Are they living their life in a way that honors the Lord? Do they know God's truth? Are they living that out? Like they don't think about those things. It's just, did we have fun and did we talk together? And they emphasize community. Now, should we get rid of community? No. Is community unimportant? No. But it's not the only thing that we do. Look what Jesus says to these Pharisees. They have misplaced priorities. Verse 23 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. Look how Jesus is what he's going to say to them. You strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. You know, these Pharisees were so focused on the details. You know, God said, you're supposed to give. You got to give 10%. And so they're, they're thinking about that and they're like, okay, I'm going to be diligent. I am going to give 10% of everything. That was the Old Testament standard. And there's, we could go into more of what that meant. It wasn't just 10%. It was more than that, but um, they were to give 10%. And so they were very careful. Like, think about that. Think about a Christian who's living their life and they're just saying, no, you know what? I'm going to give this percentage. Let's just say a Christian chose, I'm going to give 10%. So every time they got a paycheck, they gave 10%. Every time somebody gave them a birthday gift, they pulled out 10% and they gave it. If they found uh, a dime on the ground, they'd pick it up and stick a penny in the offering plate. If they went into their backyard and they had some lemons that grew, they would um, pull 10 lemons off the tree and then they would calculate the value of one lemon and they would drop that in the plate. They were so diligent, so careful to give 10% of everything. That's how these Pharisees were. And they prided themselves in that. They were arrogant about that. They focused all of their attention on those kind of things. And they completely neglected the things that God had actually called them to do. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. And Jesus just says, man, you are straining gnats and swallowing camels. You want to know what Jesus didn't then say? Don't be diligent about giving. Don't be giving, don't be diligent about um, giving 10%. He didn't say that. He said you should have focused on what was important without neglecting the other things. By the way, this is not this huge burden that Jesus is placing on us that we have to go around. And, but Jesus is just saying everything that God says matters. We don't just pick, I'm going to do this one thing, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, because the heart is, do I love God? I want to obey God. I want to do everything that God tells me I should do. And so he's just emphasizing that faithfulness. Now, um, a lot of people think that God in the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. Can I just tell you guys something? God hasn't changed. The way that he works changes, right? I mean, we don't have a little altar up here where we're sacrificing animals. So we understand that there are things that are different. But God in his nature, God in his character has not changed. Uh, the heart of what God wants from people has not changed changed. This is what Jesus tells the Pharisees. You want to know what God told them in the Old Testament? Micah 6, 8. Let me read it to you. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And he's going to give Jesus' list. To do justice, to love kindness, that's a synonym for mercy, and to walk humbly with God, which is a synonym for faithfulness. That's what God wants from us. You know, um, we should love that. You know, the, the religion that the Pharisees displayed was so harsh. It was so just uncaring and unloving. 
And there are so many people in the world that are wrapped up in false religions where God doesn't love them and they're afraid and they're always trying to do these good things to be good enough. You know, there's uh, one false religion and one of the things that they say is, they say anybody who says that good works are a result of salvation and not the cause of salvation is to be accursed. That person's to be accursed. Anybody who says that confession before God, repentance before God, is just that conviction in your heart, it's going to God and, and genuinely from the heart saying, I am sorry for what I did, forgive me for what I've done, and that that's all there is to confession and repentance, that person is to be accursed. The truth is, yeah, you should feel that way, but then you have to do good things to make up for that. Um, that's a false religion <laughs> that I've heard tons of people say, oh yeah, they're Christians. No, they're not. Anybody who believes those things doesn't go to heaven. And so this is a group of Pharisees that they are focusing on the wrong things instead of understanding God's justice, God's mercy, God's compassion and forgiveness. It's so amazing that we follow a God who's concerned with justice. I was thinking about, you know, we have so many things in our culture. Our, our culture is a perfect example of what happens when people try to fix a problem without knowing God. We have a culture that identifies a problem and then does something to make it worse. The bottom line is that God cares about justice. And sometimes people say, oh, there was injustice. We need to be unjust toward others. Oh, there's been discrimination. Now let's change discrimination and make it different. And what ends up happening is you have people who feel like they're being unfairly treated, and then they respond by saying, I don't care about injustice. I don't care about these other things. They, you get these people that are polarized, both fighting against each other, taking an opposite position. Instead of saying, no, what does God say? You know, I was thinking about a, a movie that I watched. It was called um, Just Mercy. It's about this guy who, um, he, he ends up being charged with a crime and people do all kinds of things. And um, they do things to actually send this guy to death row. They send him to prison unjustly. And people know that they're violating justice as they send this guy off. And it was amazing. I'm watching this movie, and I'm just thinking, there is no way that this really happened. And so I actually got on the Internet, and I actually searched, and there was a speech in there by, by like, the DA. And I just thought, no way did that actually happen. So I get on the internet, I search for it, and there's actually a video of the original DA saying those exact same things. You know, we, we do need to care about justice, and we don't head off dealing with justice the way the world wants to deal with justice, but I just want to throw this out. If you were in the Old Testament, uh, under the Old Testament law, under God's law, if you falsely testify against somebody, if you tweak justice... You, you subvert justice and you send somebody to death row and it's discovered, guess what happens? That person gets off death row and guess who goes to death row? The one who did that. 
you lie about somebody and send them to prison for five years, guess what happens to you? You go to prison for five years. See, that's God's justice. God cares about justice. It, it was amazing how that whole situation with just mercy was resolved. You know how it was resolved? They let the guy out of prison. You want to know what they did to the people who put him there? Nothing. See, as believers, we should care about justice the way God says we should care about justice. We should not embrace um, the way our political system wants to deal with justice. It's wrong. But we should approach justice the way God says we should approach justice. We should view people the way God says that we should view people. And here's the great thing. Whether or not justice happens in this life, you want to know what ultimately will happen. God ultimately will bring justice. We serve a God who is just and who is not dependent on a political system for justice. Ultimately, God will bring justice. God is merciful. See, the church ought to care about justice, and the church ought to be merciful the way God is merciful. Um, God cares. He's compassionate. He doesn't give people what they deserve. You know, um, Titus 3.5 says what? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And God is merciful, and the church should accurately reflect God's justice and God's mercy. You want to know how we get justice and mercy? We get justice and mercy by being faithful. We get justice and mercy by walking humbly with God. See, when you're spiritually faithful, you will be just. When you are spiritually faithful, you will display God's mercy. You know, I was thinking about that lady just writing and saying, Man, I, I want to find a church where they're good, but they, they don't emphasize Jesus and they don't emphasize the Bible. You know, churches like that are never good. They, they never achieve God's grace, God's goodness. They don't ever actually achieve justice or mercy because justice, justice and mercy flow out of the lives of people who know who God is and who are living their life in a way that is faithful before him. Um, so justice and mercy, man, I'm so thankful that we serve a God that ultimately will bring that. And for you and I, that we have God's mercy. I just want you to know, if you're struggling, you're going through hard times, Jesus knows, he cares about you, he's there for you, and the body of Christ should reflect the love of Christ in your life. You know, here's a fourth thing this is so important, is that they have misplaced effort. They got misplaced priorities. They're straining gnats and they're swallowing camels, but they have misplaced effort. They spend all their time and energy working on the wrong things. And, and, I, and I just want to say this is something that we've got to take a step back because this is actually, I think, one of the biggest problems in discipleship. It's actually one of the biggest problems in churches and this is one of the biggest problems in parenting because parents and churches and people who disciple make this mistake. Let's read it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, 
But inside, they are full of greed, self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may be clean. Now think about that. They were concerned with what was on the outside without being concerned with what's on the inside. And Jesus says, no, you work on the inside and the outside will take care of itself. You know, Luke says this in Luke 6, 44, he says, each tree is known by its own fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces fruit and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, I think this is a huge problem. When we address things and when we think about people from an external perspective, how can we fix behavior? I remember one time I went to this huge youth meeting and they they said, look, uh, we're going to do this evangelistic thing. We, We want everybody to come. So if you come and if you bring a friend, we will put your name and your friend's name in a hat. And then out of that hat, we're gonna pull a name, and you and your friend, we're gonna give away a free snowboard. So if you'll invite your friends to church, we'll give you a snowboard. I'm just thinking, really? That's how God wants us to view things? Uh, My friends need the Lord, who cares about that? But man, I'd like a new snowboard, I'll do that. until instead of talking to my friends and saying, hey, you want to come to a place where you can hear about what it means to have a relationship with the Lord? No, forget about that. I'm just going to say to my friends, hey, you want to come to this thing? You might get a free snowboard. Like, what are we teaching people? Or kids. You know, a lot of times I think this is with parenting, is with all kinds of things where we only try to modify behavior. You want to know what matters to us? We're trying to go to dinner and we want our kids to sit quietly so we can enjoy our time. Just get the kids to behave. Or you got kids in a bedroom that are fighting with each other. We just got to make them stop fighting because, man, I'm going nuts and there's all these problems here and I don't like this. Or, or you got kids who are, they're disrespectful and they're rude. And you think to yourself, man, I don't want to be talked to like that. Like, these are the things that drive us. I just want good behavior. And so we work on behavior, and we come up with all kinds of things to try to modify behavior. You want to know what is the worst thing about all that? You can completely correct everybody's behavior. Um, maybe not completely because we've got a sinful flesh. We're slaves of sin. And, and ultimately, those things never really, they never really matter. But let's just say hypothetically, I can get my kids to be respectful. I can get them to do their homework. I can get them to, to go get a job where they're productive and doing well in life. And I can control all these things. You want to know what that's worth? Ultimately, it's worth Nothing. Because if your kids don't know the Lord, where will they spend forever? Separated from God. And so many times we focus on behavior instead of the heart. And do you want to know something? When we do that, it actually says something about us. What does it say about us? It says we value our personal comfort. We value our personal convenience over spiritual things. And I think ultimately we have all kinds of people like parenting nowadays is so wrong-headed because it's behavior modification 
It's not working on the heart. But you know what? There is a connection between behavior and the heart. Because what's in your heart actually comes out of your behavior. So here's the thing you got to do. You got to look at the words that people say. And you got to realize that what comes out of their mouth, what they say actually is an expression of what's in their heart. And beyond that, the things that they do are an expression of their heart. So what do we try to do? Fix their words and fix their behavior? No. That is a gift that God gives us. It is a window that allows us to see things, and then we, from that, work on their heart. Now, that's a question that deserves lots of discussion. How do you work on somebody's heart by viewing their behavior instead of just trying to control behavior? And I think the first thing is we just need to recognize that it's what's in the heart that is significant and that behavior and words are only important because they express what's in the heart. So the goal of parenting is to shepherd a student's heart. The goal of discipleship in the church is to shepherd somebody's heart. Now, um, like I said, we could say a lot about these things and much needs to be said, but I want to take that backwards. And I want to just say that this is something that you and I need to think about. Do you listen to the words that you say? What do they tell you about your heart? Do you look at your behavior? What does it tell you about your heart? Because if you can learn how to deal with that in your own life, then you will be able to help other people deal with it in theirs, right? That's what the Pharisees did. They laid burdens on other people that they never uh, bore themselves. But if you work on your heart and you think through how that plays into your behavior, that is the first step to trying to help kids deal with their behavior. So that's actually one of the great things is a lot of times people view behavioral problems as a negative thing. They're not. Behavioral problems are an opportunity. And it's one of the things that I love is I got behavioral problems and I got word problems. And so when my kids were growing up and when they were young, they had, guess what? They had all the same problems I had. And so I would just talk to them. Like as, as things came up in their behavior, I would just say, hey, you know how you said this? You know what that means about your heart? Remember yesterday when I said this? Guess what that meant about my heart? You want to know something? I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I'm a sinner. I'm separated from him because of my behavior. I need what Jesus did. And guess what? All these things in your life, they tell you that you have a problem and you need what Jesus did too. But instead, um, so many of us are so worried about self-esteem and instead we want to tell our kids that God doesn't make junk and we focus on those kinds of things and we build people up in the wrong way instead of building them up in the right way. So these Pharisees, they focused on the outside instead of the inside. You know, as we bring things to a conclusion this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And can I tell you what is so amazing about the Lord's Supper? It's where we celebrate the thing that solved our sin problem. And that is the person and the work of Jesus. By the way, this was true in the Old Testament 
and the New Testament too. I want to read you a passage from the Old Testament talking about what Jesus did. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. So this morning, we're going to celebrate that, the fact that Jesus died and paid the price for our sins. His blood was shed for us.